there's going to be more terrible things because we're creating a culture that is not valuing queer and trans people and saying it's okay to not treat us with respect. And so that's going to create a culture of more violence and more refusal of care, which not only is so hurtful when people refuse care, but it's, it causes, it causes them to have poor outcomes and it puts their lives in danger when they can't access care. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife RX. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Welcome, beloved community. I'm so happy to be here today. Um, today is June 19th, which is a special day, Juneteenth, all over the country, celebrating the liberation of the enslaved peoples. And today we are doing a special podcast in, in honor of Pride Month, celebrating the queer community and queer midwives. So I'd like to introduce all of us. I'm going to start with myself and then we can go around. Everyone can introduce themselves. I am Angie Love. I am a cisgendered woman. My pronouns are she, hers. I live in Florida on the land formerly of the IES and Seminole land. And I come to this podcast in my queerness. I consider myself omnisexual. So I'm attracted to any and all genders. I'm very attracted to non-binary people. Um, I have had long-term relationships with men, women, and trans people. I'm also polyamorous. I feel like I have the capacity to romantically love more than one person at a time. I love the queer community. I have since high school. Uh, growing up in a very judgmental, fundamentalist religion, it was a breath of fresh air, the acceptance and non-judgment I have received from the community. So if we want to go around and y'all introduce yourselves. Yeah, you can go ahead, Abby. I'll let you go first. Okay. Hey, I'm Abby. Um, I use they, them pronouns, and I identify as non-binary um, and queer person, and I'm also a midwife and a parent. Um, yeah, and I guess that's it for now. And I'm Jordan. I am a cisgendered woman. I use she, her pronouns. I identify as a lesbian and I am a new and becoming licensed midwife here in the state of Florida, here joining Midwife Love's team in Vero Beach. Yay. Okay. So welcome everyone. I'm to have y'all on the podcast and communicating with everyone across the country and the world that may want to know what it's like to be a queer midwife. Um, so I thought we'd start from the beginning and just talk about your experience of being a queer midwife student or a queer college student. How were your professors and classmates? What was that experience like for you? You want to go first, Jordan, since you're the freshest? Yeah, I've got the studentry uh, <laughs> freshest in my mind. Um, yeah, as far as professors and other students went, everything felt 
pretty accepting, pretty neutral. Um, our first year of school, we learned a lot about cultural competency and we took a lot of deep dives into different conversations about, you know, sexual identity and gender and, um, you know, as well as racism and, you know, deeply rooted pain within our society. Um, things got a little tense here and there. Um, some people finding that, you know, struggles of queer people are, you know, not as equal to their own struggle or, you know, lesser than. Um, so some tough conversations would ensue in class here and there. Um, but otherwise everything felt very loving once we got to a certain wavelength with all of our sister midwives in the class. Um, you know, our cohort became a lot like a family. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of support there and um, acceptance within my cohort specifically. Beautiful. How about you, Abby? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I, I started midwifery school in 2006 in Miami, and um, I was still discovering my gender and my sexuality at the time. I identified as genderqueer at the time, and uh, I think bisexual, maybe, maybe queer at the time. I don't remember my wording exactly, but I, I definitely was... Um, started school as um like with a uh androgynous haircut and like gender uh non-conforming presentation I guess um which in that uh, setting I uh experienced um not a great reception from my main preceptor um and the you know, there was, um, and the main, my main preceptor was also had a lot of, uh, control over my path in school because was also the head of the school. And so, um, you know, I experienced a lot of comments, um, that I needed to change my presentation. I needed to grow my hair out. I looked like a dyke, I was told, and I, and that, um, no one wants a dyke as a midwife. Um, very, you know, it was very painful. And I was very young. I think I was probably 24 years old when I started school. So I wasn't fully in my power yet. And um, so it had a strong effect on me, for sure. And, um, and I chose, I really wanted to complete that program. And that was the school that was accessible to me financially. And, um, and so I definitely um, decided to change my presentation and grow my hair out and not talk about my queerness and um, during school uh, with, you know, especially uh, with my, with that preceptor. And yeah, so I guess that was my experience in school. <laughs> oh, yeah. That particular preceptor was uh, problematic in a lot of different areas um also had her advantages as well but um <laughs> i remember her uh distinctly telling me that uh i didn't know anything because i hadn't had a child yet you know because i was young and yeah didn't have a child so i didn't know i'd know one day you know so those kind of comments are very discouraging you know very much so um I went to school a long time ago. I've been a midwife now for 19 years. Um, my first uh, college experience was a religious school, Messiah College. Um, and it had a community covenant of all the rules that you were having to follow or else you could get kicked out. And one of them prohibited any kind of homosexual behavior. So um, most people were closeted at Messiah. And I had some professors that were cool and actually taught um, 
the Greek and the Hebrew languages and the Bible and how they really didn't define homosexuality as we know it today, you know, so a lot of exploration of what the Bible actually says. I had this really awesome professor named Rita Finger who examined women in the Bible and taught me a lot. I uh, started doing a lot of queer education for other people about these subjects my senior year and got in a little bit of trouble um, and had to go to counseling on the evils of homosexuality uh, my last semester or get kicked out and have to start somewhere else. So I did. I sat there. I didn't buy any of it, but I had to sit there for an hour a week and listen to that. Um, I also started a gay alumni page for that school after graduation that I feel like helped a lot of people at the time. It's no longer going on, um, but they do uh, still prohibit that. They still have the same same thing going on at Messiah up in Pennsylvania. And then I went to uh, study to be a midwife at University of Miami. At that time, I was married to a man, so I could do a lot of masking of my queerness. Um, I don't remember specifically negative comments about the queer community. I also don't remember a lot of positive awareness either. So just a lot of assumptions of heterosexuality and the language. Um, but I do remember that there was a trans student um, in the nurse practitioner program that a lot of people gossiped about, which was really sad to me at the time. Um, so yeah. So I think that sums it up. There's a variety of schools and a lot of that's going to depend on the policies of your school and also the preceptors that you land with. Um, unfortunately, there are limited preceptors in a lot of areas. So sometimes you take what you can get and they might be problematic in many other ways. Um, and so you're weighing, is it worth staying with this person and you know what what's going on there? So. Um, I thought we'd talk about maybe some of the advantages to being a queer midwife. Um, the, I don't know if you guys have thought of any um, about bringing your queerness to your midwifery work and how that might be advantageous in some respects. Anyone? Yeah. anyone? <laughs> I, think, um, I think when it comes to being advantageous in this field uh, it really depends on the client that you're working with um i think that's with most things midwifery uh some clients might hate your methods other clients might love you until the end of time um just being who you are so i think being a queer midwife um can you know kind of shed some light on the way others might be feeling and um, attract certain clients that are queer themselves. And, you know, it, I imagine um, having practices that are ran by mostly or all queer midwives can help other queer couples come in and feel a nice breath of fresh air. Um, I think that that's a nice pro, especially during our times right now um, and the laws and uh, bills being passed in our state specifically, I would be, it, it's, it's good to have someone that you can relate to, um, that you feel safe around, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to add to that. Uh, something that I love about being a queer midwife is just being able to, um, yeah, when you come and bring your authentic self and your true self, you know, to what you're doing, you're going to come with so much, just be such a better midwife. And so like, and your joy is going to be a reflection of that. Yes. Um, and something that's really cool now that I've practiced, well, um, since I started practicing back in 2009, now a lot of the babies that I caught that I'm still in touch with their families when they're reaching adolescence and starting to come out that these kids start to come out as non-binary and trans and queer, you know, as they're becoming teenagers, it's really exciting when their parents reach out to me or when they tell their kids like, oh, your midwife was non-binary, your midwife was queer. And like, 
um, let's talk to them about it. And so I've had like uh, quite a handful of um, babies that I caught who I get to then talk to in puberty and um, just be like, you know, a positive role model in their lives. And um, so that's something I really love about being a queer midwife is, is that at least, uh, you know, when, I don't know, when the, the babies grow up, then, um, then the families and they come out as queer or trans that the families think of me and then I get to reconnect with the kids. It's happened quite a few times. So it's pretty, it's, yeah, it's very rewarding and um, an awesome thing about being a queer midwife. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. That's so special. Yeah. That. <laughs> I had someone in my family reach out this year for a supportive supportive person and luckily they even though I'm not close to that side particularly that they felt safe reaching out to me I'm like that's amazing um especially in my family um yeah so I do think that being queer in the queer community a lot of times there's so much acceptance for wide varieties of partnerships uh wide varieties of behavior um and so just that acceptance and that openness I think translates very well to all of our clients who have very different lives and arrangements you know and I think to to be a good midwife you are meeting people where they're at and you're seeing what's important to them you know what are their values what do they need and it's very individualized care and I think having that non-judgmental attitude that openness um is amazing for them you know I've I've cared for people in polyamorous situations where, you know, uh, I have three people in the room with me and we're talking, this is their baby and we're all talking about it, you know? Um, so I think it definitely opens the doors, um, especially if you're out and about in your community to people who might not feel loved elsewhere, you know? So all sorts of people come to midwifery for that loving feeling, right? Um, we recently had someone come in our practice and she was really, really sick and she had pretty bad cancer, but she loved coming to our office and having Jordan draw her blood because she got a little dose of love sitting on our couch that she wasn't getting with all the oncologists and the surgeons and all of that. So she was pretty much, you know, beyond our care, but she loved our blood draws and she came back. Can you guys please draw my blood? So I think that loving care like reaches out to everyone. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you can't fully express yourself at work, um, you know, or in your workspace or within your career, you don't have that loving demeanor anymore. You, if you're, you can't talk about your life outside of work and you're so compartmentalized between the two um, that individualized care kind of goes out the window across the board. You know, you can't be an individual yourself. So how can, how can you provide care in a way that's specialized for each of your clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you guys think maybe are some drawbacks or problems or challenges um, that queer midwives might face? Well, homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ditto. And I think that, you know, we, we all live in a state where there's plenty of that. Um, we also, I, we live in a community in a town that is very conservative. Um, I don't know the true extent to all of the homophobia that's around here, but it might be, you know, I would say our town is not the most, most open and accepting this little town that we, you know, that we live in down here. And so sometimes it does feel like how out can I be? <laughs> How gay can I be? Because I'm trying to balance, you know, I, I do want to be my authentic self, but also I am the only, we are the only home birth practice in this whole county. So if we turn people off, 
people are going to be driving an hour to go see somebody. And my bottom line is going to go down, obviously, you know, so it's like it's weighing the balance of of what what can I do here? And so I think that's changed as I've gotten more confident in myself and also more confident in my practice um, that I'm out a little bit more to people that I think will handle it. You know, I wear my rainbow watch at work, you know, not all the time, but I would say probably good 80, 90 percent. So, I mean, if people want to talk about it, we can. I'm definitely, you know, not trying to push it on people, but I think that 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 this depending on where you live, if there's a lot of homophobia, that could be um, more of an issue. What do y'all want to add? I I think that um, you're spot on about who who can you be, who can you come out to? You know, I think that's been a little tricky to find balance in. Um, there are a lot of clients where you would assume, you know, knowing just their superficial selves when they first walk in the door, um, that they might not be okay with who you are. Um, and then other clients that you think would, and they might not be. And so um, I usually find myself using more of like the, the neutral language, referring to my partner instead of my girlfriend. Um, sometimes even until we're two days into their labor um, to, to come out to some of my clients uh, just for the sake of safety for me. And, you know, sometimes maybe it is a people-pleasing trait, um, not wanting to make other people feel uncomfortable because I'm queer. Um, so that can be a little tricky to balance. Uh, yeah, there's, there can be a lot of that, you know, sometimes it's not until you see a particular person's Facebook posts later on in the year that you even realize that they might have had those views that um, you were so open to, to share and, you know, you kind of double back and say, oh, wow, maybe I shouldn't have disclosed that or said that or, you know, talked about uh, the lovely weekend trip I had, you know, with my partner. So that can be a bit of a challenge. I definitely had, uh, well, you know, I, I, I definitely masked my queerness in school and then came into it slowly when I started practicing um, to be out to my clients. Um, and I didn't come out to all my clients. I had a very... Um, well, that stayed with me, that comment from my preceptor that nobody wants a dyke as a midwife. It stayed with me for a long time. Um, and um, and so, yeah, I often didn't come out to, to clients. Um, and I also felt like, you know, this, their care is about them, right? And the, it's, I don't need to talk about my personal life very much <laughs> when, um, I'm taking care of them and their pregnancy. Um, and I did have an experience um, that was uh, painful and it was also really uh, transformative because um, I had a client who I'd taken care of for her first baby and, and um, she came to me again with her second baby. Um, but, and I worked at a birth center the, um, with the first baby and then the second baby, I was doing home birth practice. And um, so I was working with different midwives, but I was more, um, I was more out then a couple years later than I had been when I worked at the birth center. Um, and I was back to like presenting how I like to dress and how I like to have my hair and all that. Like I took me a few years after school to feel safe to get back into it because I felt really hesitant about being myself and being a midwife. And, but, um, so that client um, was excited that to see me again and was excited for me to be her midwife. I did her first visit and then um, it, uh, she friended me on Facebook, which I, you know, am more careful about now, <laughs> but back then I was like, oh, friends with clients, sure. Um, and then she, you know, saw something about my gender identity there and came to um, the other midwives 
in my practice and said that uh, she didn't want me to be her midwife because I was trans. Like she didn't, um, uh, she wanted to see the other midwives and not me anymore. Um, and yeah, it was like uh, very sad to me to experience that. And the midwives that I worked with, uh, it was a real healing experience because the midwives that I worked with were like, oh, okay. Like, uh, sorry, you feel that way. Abby is part of our practice. And um, when you, you know, if Abby's on call, Abby's the midwife who comes. And so if you don't want Abby at your birth, then we're not the practice for you. And they were very just like, you know, not taking not taking it. <laughs> um, and that felt really healing for me since and affirming um, because uh, of just my fear that other midwives wouldn't want to practice with me and that I would lose clients and I would bring down the practice, like all the internalized fears that I took in from being in a homophobic environment um, and society so <laughs> and transphobic. <laughs> yes you you were with some good midwives at the time that's good yeah. Yeah. yeah so advertising in the community um how do y'all have you thought about it um advertising to the queer community that we're here that we're here to serve them um I myself try to be active in the local queer communities that I find online. Um, there is a queer medical group, like a directory that you can list your practice in. Um, any other ideas that y'all have or have done? I like reposting on uh, social media, you know, queer couples, trans couples, um, trans parents um you know just kind of putting the word out there letting people know that I'm here and I'm in support and you know posting pictures of my partner and I on social media um just kind of I without having to uh I guess ruffle feathers on social media um or cause a rise out of you know, certain people in my friends groups or family groups, um, just kind of letting people know without having to say it that I'm, I'm here and supporting and a safe place. How about you, Abby? Did you guys um, do any specific advertising to the queer community? Yeah. Um... Well, something that comes to mind is, uh, so I think it was back in uh, 2012, I started providing like uh, intrauterine inseminations uh, to uh, the community. And um, the at that time, before gay marriage was legal in Florida, um, all the providers in this area required uh, people to be married to um, get uh, conception services um, and to access uh, in vitro and um, and IUI and so um, and so that's what kind of motivated me to be trained in IUI and I went to California and, and got trained and um, did an internship there and came back and started providing services and um, so I did uh, kind of raise awareness about my midwifery practice through that. And I did um, like uh, fertility uh, and conception classes at the Pride Center and kind of advertised. That way I gave free classes about how to plan, um, you know, how to track fertility and um, the different uh, ways to uh, support uh, getting pregnant and and then people found out and advertised for the home birth services there too. So it was mm -hmm. like, um, that was one thing that, that we did. And um, then people knowing me as being a provider that way, that they, they, they became aware because I did at home IUIs. 
Um, and so, yeah, kind of people uh, learned about home birth that way too. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've done a couple at home IUIs too and love them, love meeting people in their place. And I think that home birth is really such an amazing place to give birth if that's an option for people. And for people who face discrimination, it's even better for them to feel comfortable in their own home and to be you know, surrounded by providers they know and they trust. I think that is very, very helpful to, uh, to people in our community. Uh, any other ideas you have, Jordan? Lots of different events that you could go to. I mean, um, I being that I'm a new and becoming midwife, um, it's kind of been a little bit of a learning curve for me to figure out what local resources we have. Um, within our community I've been learning a lot from you you know in our practice and um, seeing what we have around Um, yeah I so social media has kind of been the main tool um, in my eyes just because it reaches more people Um, I think that's been a little bit of a challenge within our practice at times too, we really don't get a lot of queer clients. Um, I am curious to see how in the future we can improve that, you know, mm-hmm. um, do, do they not know that we're here or uh, are they just, you know, comfortable with where they are? You know, I don't know. Um, I actually haven't even seen a wide variety of providers in our area myself to know who is safe, you know, like primary care physicians and um, yeah. So I'm curious to, to see what we can do and how we can grow in that area. Definitely. Yeah. I know that everyone talks about providing inclusive care to everybody. Um, And so I was going to say, how do we do that? What are the principles? What are the things that we do to help ourselves be welcoming? One of them is sharing our pronouns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Asking open questions having a more comprehensive list of intake forms, you know, um, how can we really open up the platform to, from the, from the get before they even walk into our office? How can we open ourselves up to say, Hey, we're safe here, you know, Mm -hmm. sharing about our personal lives is a big one. Again, with that tricky uh, balance of whether or not you'll be accepted. Um, Yeah, Abby's story uh, was pretty inspiring there. Um, Knowing that even when you are out, when you do come out, um, you know, as a feminine presenting lesbian uh, looking at me, it's not quite something that I you know, I, you can't really tell that I'm queer when you're just looking at me in the street, unless I'm standing next to my girlfriend. And even that sometimes, you know, they will refer to her as my son. Um, so yeah, um, there's that tricky part, but you know, the more open you are and, um, you know, in, inviting you are, the more you share about yourself to others and your clients can be a welcoming aspect as well within your practice. Any tips that you want to share, Abby? Yeah, I think it's everything Jordan said. <laughs> um, it's not, not assuming that, um, that everyone that we see who's pregnant is going to identify as a mother or a mama. Um, 
just like asking what parent words people like to use for themselves, um, not assuming um, that someone has a partner at all, or not assuming that they have just one partner, or, or that they, you know, just not assuming anything about anyone and not setting up, you know, the expectation of heteronormativity and um, monogamy and all of that. Um, and yeah, I think also it's important um, to talk since we, uh, this is maybe slightly different tangent, but to also um, show that we are, you know, safe people or that we're safer spaces for intersex people also. And um, talking to our parents about, because we're, as midwives, we're the first, you know, the first provider who has eyes on the baby. And, um, you know, like, being inclusive also means talking about, hey, not all babies are easily defined as male and female and um, talking about intersex variations, you know, with our parents prenatally in childbirth class. Um, mm -hmm. And that way people who are intersex or people whose partners are intersex will also feel safer to know that we, um, that is something that we talk about and that, you know, um, and that we're also going to be an advocate for the babies who, um, who don't fit easily into the boxes, both when they're born and also as they grow up and that we're resources in our communities um, by being open about all of those things. So that's some things that come to mind. Good points. Yeah. Yeah, we came up, this came up in my office um, maybe a week or two ago. There was a woman, a client of mine, who was really sad that she was not having another boy, you know, that she knows of. She just, you know, found out the, what we think are <laughs> the genitals of the baby. Um, and so she was disappointed and her two sons were there and they were disappointed and the husband, ever, the whole family, you know, was disappointed. I myself was sad that they were all experiencing this disappointment because, you know, I love women so much. And I'm like, this is such a great blessing. You know, I was so happy to have my, you know, girls. And um, anyway, we were talking about that and it was just like even talking to the little boys well they're like we want a boy we want someone who can be tough and play with us and I'm like there's plenty of girls who play you know just oh they're just going to play with dolls I'm like you have no idea how this baby is going to be and how they're going to interact with you or anything this is a baby that's new and coming out we have no idea so like so many like genders roles and it's it's really hard because it's like I want to present information, but I don't want to be a jerk. But <laughs> these people get really into like their gender reveal parties, you know, and it's a whole industry of making money and all this stuff. And it's just like you may know if there appears to be a penis or a vulva, but you don't know much more beyond that. And sometimes I'll slip a little slip a little comment in there like if someone is saying they're really disappointed with well maybe they'll be trans you know so I give them hope probably <laughs> not the hope they were looking for but you know it's like weighing the the pendulum well you would you really don't know Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, something that midwives just are witness so many conversations around um, signing sex to the baby. It's just such a, it's just so, um, so deep in our culture for that to be like such a big question during pregnancy. And then for the, the pregnancy, once, if it's discovered in the pregnancy, what the genitals of the baby are, or now the chromosomes of the baby, since some families um, are able to check that. Um, you know, then it's just the direction of the pregnancy. It's just like, now we know what clothes to buy. Now we know what, how to decorate the room. And, um, and it's hard as a, a trans person, as a non-binary person to, you know, be immersed in that. That was some, that was definitely a challenge of mine. 
um, while I was practicing. I'm on a break from practicing now, but just something. And I always tried to plant seeds of the same thing that you were talking about. And she was like, well, we don't know what they're going to like. What We don't know what colors they're going to enjoy yet. And we don't know <laughs> what their interests are going to be based on their chromosomes or their genitals. But um but it's tiring too, you know, it's to be um, in that role of educating always. And then also have, you know, so that's just a challenge that we didn't, I didn't talk about earlier, but it definitely, um, it's a like, it's a great opportunity because I love educating, but then it also can be draining because it's so, it's so immersed in our culture to have an obsession about <laughs> the baby's gender. <laughs> Especially when you're met with, when you try to have conversations about non-binary people and trans people and, you know, breaking away from the gender roles, you're met with, what? What do you, what do you mean? You know, you're met with a whole lot of shock uh, from most people I've found. As soon as you start bringing up it, it really, uh, yeah it really gets gets deep into their uh into their mind space you know it's almost like that emoji of the brain exploding <laughs> yeah definitely depends on and in, in the community that you're at you know we would be having different conversations if we were practicing out in portland you know um where we ourselves are in rural florida in a republican area you know, um, I think obviously we all think about language that we could be using to make things more inclusive. And I think that's like a little sign. People that are in the queer community will probably pick up on it. And then some people won't pick up on it. So I think that's like a very easy way for you to talk to people. Like when you're saying, oh, the birthing person or the birthing people or people that have a uterus, you know, people that have a vulva. I was teaching sex ed for teenagers here recently in my town. And so a lot of times we would use that kind of language. Um, and it was interesting, the people that actually came to this class. Now in my county, in the sex ed in schools, all they teach is abstinence only. That's all they teach. So I was teaching the sex ed outside of the school system. Um, and we had a lot of kids in there that were either non-binary or trans. They haven't fully decided, but it was about half the class. And I think that was just some parent knew that it was going to be a safe class and we need to get them in. And, you know, so using inclusive language so that everyone is feeling comfortable and welcome and like they have a place. And it was interesting because the curriculum we were using is a great curriculum but it hasn't been edited in maybe 10, 15 years. <laughs> and so they still had a lot of activities like boys go to this side of the room and girls go to this side of the room. And I'm like, we can't do that. We're not, we're not going to be doing that. Um, but, you know, we could break it up down the class or whatever. So it was very interesting to teach this young community because many times the younger ones have more of an idea of all of this inclusivity than the older folks. You know, our, our teenage moms that are coming to us are probably more clued in than our 35-year-old moms or our 40-year-old moms that are older. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think partner's the big one, not assuming they have a partner, not assuming it's a husband. Um, yeah, and like some of the, the, even the groups that they teach locally, they have this doula dads program where they're really emphasizing the partner as the doula. You know, and doula dads is catchy. What if it's not a dad, you know? And what if the partner wants to take it? You know, like, I get that we want to be catchy and trendy, but like, we also have to be welcoming. And doula dads is not a welcoming title. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's their sister that's going to be with them, you know, it's it's a very heteronormative title. No offense, healthy start. Uh, <laughs> you change the name. Uh, anything else y'all want to say about that uh yeah thank you for reminding me um another about 
just all the language that we use. So um, yeah, I think it's really helpful to check in with our clients about the language they want used for their body parts also. And um, so especially for, especially with trans masculine and non-binary uh, pregnant people, um, you know, it can be really non-affirming for, for when we're talking about birth to talk about using, you know, the medical terms that we usually use for vagina and, um, and vulva and all of that if someone uh, doesn't identify those words with their parts. And so it's a great thing before we do a pelvic exam, like before we talk about the parts, just be like, what, what language do you want me to use for your body when, if I need to talk about your body parts? And that's um, something that can really help people feel affirmed because even cisgender women may have words that they don't like for their body too. So it's a great question to ask everybody. Good point. Yes. Yeah, I remember uh, it being in school and uh, we were learning a lot about um, competency and um, inclusivity and it, there was someone within the class and it stuck with me for a while um, where they were talking about how someone did a pap smear on them, um, a care provider, and they found the cervix. And they were like referring to the cervix as a girl, you know, just saying, oh, look at her. She's so pretty, you know, talking about the cervix in such a feminine way. And this particular person um, did not like feminine um, terms used for her body parts, especially for parts that, you know, are, are organs. Um, why are we putting gender on so many things? So avoiding language like that um, and trying to keep language like pretty and beautiful and you know all of these gender specific terms for appearance um out of our conversations too would be helpful um yeah we we don't need handsome and beautiful and pretty to be ways that we describe things especially in the medical field agree yeah so um I guess the challenges in today's environment <laughs> for providing queer and trans care, I would say there's never been more challenges than this year, 2023, that we currently find ourselves in, in this government uh, run by DeSantis here in Florida, who keeps cranking out laws that are full of hate. Um, <laughs> and it's hate against gay people trans people women there's been a lot of hate that have been coming out as and taking rights away from people and access to medical care um so this year trans care changed um in regard to providing care to minors and basically banning all of that and also requiring that trans adult care um, be in person and be with an MD um, when they're transitioning and providing criminal penalties for people who don't go along with that. So I, you know, am totally against that. And I think that's horrible. And I was thinking, how can we get around these laws? you know, for people who are not leaving the state, because there are plenty that are leaving the state, but how can we get around these laws? And I think that one of the things that midwives we do well is we don't require pelvic exams. You know, everyone can decline pelvic exams as they see fit. I was uh, talking to a trans person in my community and they're like, I really need to get this depo shot, but now I don't know where to get it. And I'm like, well, you can come see me. You know, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't need to inspect your genitals. So I provide depot all of the time. So I think there are ways around it, but it's really disgusting that we have to even think like this, you know? Um, what are some challenges that you guys have seen? 
Um, I find it to be quite terrifying, the other uh, new bill um, that was proposed and I believe passed um, that had to do with providers being able to decline care for people based on their own uh, religious, personal, moral beliefs. Um, terrifying um, in a more personal matter. Um, you know, as a midwife that is queer and accepting of anyone, um, obviously that won't be me, a part of that um, umbrella bill. I'm not going to be declining care to anyone, period. Um, but scary knowing that, you know, someone that looks the way that my girlfriend does, um, would she be declined care? How hurtful that would be. You know, um, putting into your intake forms. How, how can we, you know, create a safe space and, you know, ask all of these personal questions about gender identity and sexual orientation um, if we have this stipulation now where if you disclose it, you could be declined care. You know, how can we, how can we make this safe? We can't, you know, um, unless you're adding in things like your social media presence and, you know, like you said, adding in, in your practice names and going out there and advertising yourself as someone that is safe. Um, I find that to be a massive uh, barrier to care and adequate care. You know, trans people and queer people are already less likely to seek care from a primary care physician. Um, they are disproportionately more likely to have morbidities um, because of this. So yeah, um, that's a, that, that's been a big, disturber for me um, is that part, <clears throat> that law specifically. Abby, you got a lot to say. I can <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Um, there's so much and be, because there's so, there's so many, um, aspects to the bills that just passed. Um, and I, I did recently um, attend like a, a Q&A that my, the Pride Center in my area was doing to kind of like explain um, the bills a little more in depth. Uh, and that was helpful. One thing that I just, that I understand from that, and hopefully I'm right about this, but what I understand is that um, for the gender affirming care ban, the SB 254 um, that passed, what I understand is that the first, it's requiring um, adults uh, who are seeking gender affirming care to have in-person visits for the first visit, um, but then telehealth visits can happen after that. Um, okay. That's what they clarified, like the lawyer who was there clarified. So. Hopefully that's correct, but <laughs> um, but it would be telehealth with someone out of state, right? Um, like not a, unless you have a doctor, you know, the, it did ban nurse practitioners from, you know, doing care, which is what um, they presented 80% of trans people get their gender affirming care from nurse practitioners. And so it's really a barrier to care. Um, but there are, you know, the queer community is resilient and trans community is resilient. And so there's people working to like find ways around these laws. Um, and there is that, that is, there is that requirement of the first visit has to be in person. The Pride Center in my area is bringing a doctor to town who's going to do people's initial visits and then um, set them up with telehealth. Um, so I know that there's... Um, a few like telehealth, I'll just mention resources like Queer Med, 
um, where you can, um, people in Florida can get uh, access to care, telehealth, as long as they had their initial visit uh, in person, they can then do their follow-up visits through Queer Med with like physicians um, or maybe, yeah, I guess physicians out of state or, so anyway, and there's another one called Plume, I think. So I just wanted to mention that for people listening, because that seems like um, important to know that, yeah, these laws are terrifying and um, we are part of a really resilient community that's going to find ways around, around these as much as we can, but it is going to do a lot of damage and it's going to create a more of a culture that's not safe for trans people, for queer people, especially for people um, who are also queer, trans and, and BIPOC. There's going to be so many more deaths of trans, uh, black trans women, you know, than there, than there is even now. There's going to be more uh, you know, there's going to be more terrible things because we're creating a culture that is not valuing queer and trans people and saying it's okay to not treat us with respect. And so that's going to create a culture of more violence and more refusal of care, which not only is so hurtful when people refuse care, but it's, it causes, it causes them to have for outcomes and it puts their lives in danger when they can't access care. So that's Thank part of what that. I was saying. That's good. Yes. Did they give you any uh, shortcuts or backdoors for youth, trans youth? Right. So, well, I, all I know is that, that kids that are already in care are uh, already receiving gender affirming care um, are kind of are grandfathered in that they're not going to be stopped from their medications. Um, but that's all I can share at this moment, but I'm hopefully <laughs> right. Because for queer, let me, well, let me pause for a second. Okay. <laughs> Cause I took some, I took some notes. Let me see if I wrote anything about that. <laughs> okay. Yes. And I think we have to, you know, share these, you know, back doors and workarounds and those things have been going around for, um, the, you know, abortion issue as well. Um, there's a great website for that called plan C and it'll take you to whatever state you're in, what are the current laws regarding abortion, and if you want medication abortion in that state, how you can get it. Um, and they have interesting sites where they're from overseas pharmacies that will ship you the pills, or they're from another provider in another state who will ship them um, to a mailbox that you rented in California. You know, So there's there's different ways around of getting things that you need. Um, unfortunately, not everybody's going to know about these ways. Lots of people are going to be left out. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know about for kids. I know that, um, yeah, it is felony for physicians to provide gender affirming care to minors. And I don't know of a work around that. Yeah. I can In tell you, you know, Florida. once again, that, you know, kids also don't need a pelvic exam and nurse midwives we expanded our scope of practice um a couple years ago to include all gender identities which was i was part of that committee and i was so happy for that i worked on the scope of practice specifically to get that changed um awesome. yeah and so all gender identities are welcome to be seen by nurse midwives and pelvic exams aren't really required and pap smears aren't required to age 21. And so lots of things can be done, you know, for any gender identity. So if you have a friendly and helpful nurse midwife. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, like the, the, it specifically is for gender affirming care. Of course, a lot of medications are available for these, for kids, for other reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, you just have to find the reason that's not called gender affirming care, you know, whether it's testosterone and oh, you know, I have really low libido and I really need that testosterone or, 
you know, I'm taking depo so I don't get pregnant or whatever it is, the excuse that you need to give, you know, there are workarounds. Um, yeah. So I am reading this amazing book. Everybody should read. It's called the tragedy of heterosexuality. <laughs> I haven't heard of it. Who's it by? It's by Jane Ward. It's so amazing. I love it. So I have um, got some quotes from this that I'm going to share and it might encourage you to read it. And instead of considering like straight people considering themselves allies to the queer community, we queers should really consider ourselves allies to the straight community because they're going through a tough time <laughs> and they need to be blessed by friendships with us and relationships and all the love that we have, you know, to help them along to get out of their tragedy. So here's a great one. It says, Homophobia is the outward expression of heterosexual misery, a kind of subconscious jealous rage against the gendered and sexual possibilities that lie beyond the violence and disappointments of straight culture. That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> um, being straight was largely beneficial for men. The same was not always true for women for whom the institution of heterosexuality has been a site of violence, control, diminishment, and disappointment. Um, let's see what else I got here. Straight people have few opportunities to grieve the disappointments of straight culture, the bad and coercive sex, the normalized inequities of daily life, straight men's fragility and egomania, straight women's growing disillusionment with men's fragility and egomania, the failed marriages, the co-parenting that is really solo parenting, because how does one speak about the failure of the very system that defines people's success? Um, what, two more, two more, okay. Um, Quite sad that in a straight culture, a vagina is evaluated according to its capacity to please men and not its capacity to experience pleasure. You know, we deal with a lot of this in our profession of how's my vagina going to be after I give birth? You know, oh, my husband says it's different or whatever, dealing with all of that versus, well, what are you feeling? What is your pleasure like? You know, I've dealt with you know straight women who are 40 years old and plus who have never had an orgasm they've had many kids they've had a long marriage and never had an orgasm um and the final one i want to share with is the late queer theorist jose esteban muñoz defined queerness not as a sexual orientation per se but as a utopian longing a feeling of being pulled toward a queerer future as yet unimagined any thoughts, comments? I love it. Um, final little comment from me, you know, uh, for any new midwives, student midwives, uh, midwives out there that are, you know, not quite sure where they stand in their community and their practice, um, surround yourself professionally with people that will have your back. Listen to Abby's story. Listen to who you should really surround yourself with. Your team should be just as supportive and just as much of an ally as you would be to anybody else that you love. Um, be yourself, be gay, and uh, don't worry about all of those uh, preceptors, clients, people that you're going to come around. Um, people are not always going to think of you as their cup of tea and that's okay because you have people that love you. Yes. You say there's a shoe, well shoe for every foot, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any other awesome. final thoughts, thoughts from you, Abby? Um, 
Yeah, I'll say something. I really loved what you said, Jordan. I'll say something to the, the other queer midwives out there, queer and trans midwives out there. Um, and especially in Florida, but all over. Um, yeah, I know that, uh, especially with our current political climate, we, you know, are, are often told like that we shouldn't exist <laughs> or that we, we don't even exist, right? That we, that non-binary people don't even exist in a lot of people's minds. Um, so just wanted to say to all those out there that yes, we do exist and we bring beauty to the world for existing, right? And we bring, you know, so much magic to the world for being ourselves. And so we should be respected and celebrated as all people should be. And um, yeah, definitely what Jordan said about finding, finding a supportive people, to, supportive people to practice with. And um, yeah, you're not, it's okay if you're not going to be, uh, if a client is so uh, judgmental that they don't want you to be their midwife, that's okay. They can find another midwife, right? And that doesn't mean you shouldn't be yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I want to say happy Pride Month to everyone out there listening. And I know we need a ton more midwives. We need a ton more queer midwives. We need a ton more trans midwives. So schools are open. Preceptors are here. And come join us. Become a midwife. We can use you. There's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm.